At midnight on July 29, 1904, neighbors saw the Hodges family home on fire. On arrival to the house, neighbors noted there was a lamp on the gatepost, which made them think and hope the family was out at a neighbor's house. The roof was caved in. The more time passed, the more neighbors feared the family was in the house. They started thinking that, perhaps in the thunderstorm that night, lightning struck the house, stunned the family, and set the house ablaze. This theory was proven false when dawn broke and they saw the blood. A special warning for this episode, it does deal with the death of children, as well as racism, and deaths that resulted from said racism. Please take care while listening. The Axe Murder of the Hodges Family, Statesboro, Georgia, July 28, 1904. Blood was found on the yard fence and just outside the gate. There were fresh tracks leading to the house from the gate and evidence of scuffling around the gate. Mr. Hodges's hat was found 30 yards down the lane. Once foul play was suspected, a young boy, Boss Woodrum, was sent to the home of Sheriff Kendrick to report that the home was burned and the family was missing. Sheriff Kendrick rushed to the Hodges' home and the police sent telephone messages for dogs but the only ones that could be sent were two that were not well-trained. Due to this and the rain, the sheriff ultimately decided not to send for dogs. One neighbor, Mel Brannan, who investigated the house, went into town and informed people that the entire family was burnt to a crisp. Townsfolk rushed to the house along with Sheriff Kendrick, and Sheriff Kendrick was unfortunately close friends with the Hodges family, and this is what he found. The bodies of the Hodges family were pulled out and they were charred beyond recognition. Quote, the legs and arms were burned off nearly to the body and the skulls were charred. Mr. Hodges's body was identified by a suspender buckle. The bodies of his eldest daughter, Kitty, age 8, and his wife, Claudia, age 26, were found under what was believed to be the piazza or porch of the home. The bodies of the two youngest, Harmon, age one year and almost 11 months, and Talmadge, age five months, were found in a charred bed frame. It is believed they died in their sleep. The theory at the time was that Henry Hodges had left the house to pick up his eldest daughter from school the night before, around 8 p.m. While out, robbers came to the home and murdered his wife, Claudia, and the two youngest children. Henry and Kitty came home and were murdered in the lot, and their bodies dragged into the house. Tracks and streams of blood showed that two people dragged Henry Hodges' body over the fence and into the house. Quote, One track indicated that it was made by a person having such a badly worn shoe that the toes made impressions on the ground, and then it appears that they took off their shoes. It was estimated that the family was murdered on the night of July 28, 1904, and the house was set ablaze at about 11 p.m. Henry Hodges's skull had a hole just above the right eye. Quote, there were no signs of assault on the younger children, but they were too young to protect themselves from the flames. End quote. All the bodies were dressed, indicating the crime occurred early in the night before the family retired.
Axe was used by robbers on family. Hodges family of Statesboro, victims of one of foulest crimes in Georgia's history. Robbers used torch to conceal butchery. With an axe, father, mother, and children were brained. The remains of slaughtered family found in ashes. No clue to murderers. Henry R. Hodges, his wife, and three children, living about six miles from Statesboro, were killed last night and their home burned. The remains were found in the ruins of the home. There were bloodstains outside the building. An investigation showed that Hodges, his wife, and one child had their skulls broken, apparently with an axe. There were no signs of an assault upon the younger children, but they were too young to protect themselves from the flames. Robbery is supposed to have been the cause of the crime. Mr. Hodges was found with his skull crushed in as though from the blow of an axe. Mrs. Hodges's head and body had been beaten with some blunt instrument. The body of a little girl was horribly mangled. The two other children's bodies did not show any signs of violence, and it is supposed they were victims of the flames and not the murderous blows of their assailants. As there were no eyewitnesses who were spared to tell the awful story, no details are known. There are many theories, the majority being that robbers entered the house and upon being discovered, decided it was best to kill the entire family. Mr. Hodges and his family held the confidence and respect of the entire community and no motive can be advanced except the robbery theory. Excerpts from the Atlanta Constitution, Atlanta, Georgia, July 30th, 1904. This was all the information known as of July 30th, 1904, one day after the murders. Arrests were made July 31st. The brutality of this case does not stop with these murders. On July 31st, it was reported that police arrested 15 black men who they found suspicious for murder. Two of these men stood out, Paul Reed and Will Cato. The wife of Paul Reed has made a statement in which she says her husband and Will Cato are the guilty parties and that early last Thursday evening, just after dark, they went over to Henry R. Hodges's house and killed the entire family, hoping to get money that Mr. Hodges was supposed to have and that they then came back and got some matches and returned and set the house on fire after putting Hodges's body in the house so that the entire family could be burned. She has made this confession freely and voluntarily. Now, some sources do state that this confession was coerced, and I'm more inclined to believe that than the police who arrested 15 black men just because. To continue, Reed's shoes found. The shoes worn by Reed were found near the house of the fire, hid under a log. Reed wore a pair of different kinds of shoes, and mates to them were found in his house together with the pants showing blood on them. All of the men will be held until Tuesday. Excitement has been running high, and threats of lynching have been freely made, and large crowds of determined men are in town. Excerpts from the Atlantic Constitution, Sunday, July 31st, 1904. Reed's wife, it is said, has made a confession. 
She is reported to have said that her husband and Will Cato were principals in the crime. Cato is about 25 years old. He told Paul Reed, the latter's wife, says, that Hodges had $300 buried in an old iron kettle behind a small chicken house. Last Saturday night, Reed, Cato, and Handy Bell, the cropper on Hodges's place, went up to get the money, but Hodges found them out. They told Hodges that someone had been snake-bitten and they wanted to get some turpentine. Then they declared they would have the money if they had to kill the whole family. One of them said that would not do, as it would be found out. Quote, Oh, we will burn the house down, said another. The same morning, Handy Bell had borrowed the Hodges' gun to shoot birds that were eating his corn, and the gun had not been returned when the crime was committed. Cato admits he went to Hodges' house Saturday night, but said he went up to the gate and asked for the turpentine. Reed's wife said her husband told her about 9 o'clock that he had helped commit an awful crime, and that if she told it, he would kill her. He got some matches, went away with Cato, and was gone until late in the night. By the unmistakable signs about the scene of the crime, Mr. Hodges had returned from the house of a neighbor, Mr. Isaac Atkins, with his little daughter, had put up his horse and buggy, attended to the cows in a pen, just back of the house lot, and after this had gone down the road a little way, either decoyed by the robbers or in search of more cattle. A large stone was found in the road, picked up from beside a tree. There were signs of a scuffle, and it is believed Hodges was brained with the stone, that he then ran towards the house, but was overtaken by two men at the corner of the yard fence and killed. The fence was smeared with blood, as if made by a falling person, and pools of blood were found on the ground. Mrs. Hodges was tracked to the gate, where she had placed a large lamp on the post, and had gone into the yard nearly opposite the bloodstains. She then ran around a rose bush to the door steps. On each side of the point where she left the fence were finger marks of two men, and tracks of two men ran along on each side of Mrs. Hodges's tracks, leading to the doorstep. One set of tracks was made by mismatched shoes, one being broad-toed and the other sharp-pointed. This morning, a pair of shoes of this description that fitted the tracks was found by the side of a log near the road. One of them was blood-stained, and having tar on the heel, hair was found in it, which Mr. Jernigan, the father of Mrs. Hodges, recognized as his daughter's hair. One shoe was lace and the other a gaiter. The lace shoe had a cloth string. The shoes were taken to Mr. Please Brannan, who recognized them as being one of the two pairs he had sold to a black man, Paul Reed. The man's house was searched, and the mates to the shoes were found, strung up in the same manner as the pair found in the woods with blood and hair on them. A piece of cloth which matched the string was found, and the man's wife had a dress that matched the string also. Governor Terrell has ordered out the Volunteer Guards, Company A, 1st Georgia Regiment, stationed at Statesboro, to guard the prisoners under arrest for the murder of the Hodges family. He has also ordered a special train for the prisoners to be taken to Savannah. At last accounts, the train was steaming up ready to leave Statesboro. It is feared the men will be lynched if allowed to remain in Statesboro Jail. Savannah Morning News, July 31st. 1904.
Funeral of the victims. The charred remains of all five of the victims were buried in one coffin at Friendship Baptist Church this morning. A great crowd of people attended the funeral. Mr. Hodges was a brother of Reverend Harmon Hodges, who preached here for a number of years, but who is now in Texas. He had also another brother, Mr. James Hodges, of this place. And that is the only article I found about the funeral. Savannah Morning News, Savannah, Georgia, July 31st, 1904. Fire hid a darker crime. In disproof of the theory of robbery, there was found today five silver dollars and some smaller coins on the spot where the body of Mrs. Hodges fell prey to the flames, kindled to hide a darker crime. The assailants, if bent on robbery, would certainly have discovered the presence of the purse while carrying the body into the house where the dead were assembled for the general cremation. A short time before his death, Mr. Hodges drove to meet his daughter returning from school. At the barn, the girl waited for her father to finish feeding. While thus engaged, the father's attention was evidently attracted by the rush of the men. The empty school basket told graphically of the girl's hasty flight into the house. Alarmed, no doubt, by the appearance of her daughter, Mrs. Hodges, lamp in hand, rushed to the gate, setting the lamp on a post where it was afterwards found, still burning. The woman started to the help of her husband and was herself attacked. Her blackened body was found in a half-sitting position, as if consciousness had returned ere the flames enveloped her in a last embrace. To the morning news representative, Cato's wife told of Cato's actions. On Thursday night, about eight o'clock, Cato came in and told her that Paul, naming Reed, had killed Mr. Hodges and cut his throat. When Cato returned from a second trip, two hours later, he said that Paul had finished the family and was going to burn the house. At that time, the house was in flames. According to the story Reed told his wife, they did not know that Kitty was in the house until they went in and found her hiding behind the trunk. Another chain in the proof against Cato was made by fitting his shoe into one of the tracks left near the residence. One shoe was bursted, and this was shown in the tracks. All day, a hundred determined men had been scouring the country near the home of the ill-fated family for clues. It is these men who have become firm converts to the theory that the women and girl were assaulted and burned to conceal the deed. Now, that part is not confirmed, um, but it is a horrendous thing to think about. And I'm sharing that to show what these people were thinking at the time. And, and another very difficult thing to share is one source stated that, so essentially Kitty was able to run away and the men had not noticed her, but found her hiding behind a trunk or in a trunk. And she pleaded with her life, offered them a nickel, um, but they murdered her with an axe. It, this case is very difficult, for sure. So once Henry 
And Claudia and little Kitty were murdered with the axe. All the bodies were brought in the house and the house was set on fire, leaving little Harmon and Thaumage to die in the fire. For safekeeping, Cato and Reed were brought to Savannah and lodged in the county jail yesterday morning by Sheriff J.Z. Kendricks of Bullock County, who slipped the men out of the Statesboro Jail at 2 o'clock in the morning without even the military on guard knowing of it. Reed, one of the prisoners brought to Savannah, is believed to be undoubtedly guilty, and Cato is at least an accessory to the crime, if not a principal, though Sheriff Kendricks maintains that Cato is also one of the murderers. Any jury that could be drawn on Bullock County would hang Reed on his own statement, to say nothing of the statements that his wife has made to the sheriff and other, and too, there are stains on Reed's pants that look like blood. Cato admits knowing the attempt to rob the Hodges' home was going to be made, though he denies he went along. Reed also says Cato did not go. Sheriff Kendrick says Cato and Reed would undoubtedly have been lynched had they been left in Statesboro. He talked with Adjunct General Scott over the long-distance telephone Saturday night and was ordered by the governor to bring the men to Savannah. The volunteer guards, the Statesboro Company, was ordered out and were put around the jail. Feeling was very high, the sheriff said, and the only thing that prevented a lynching was the belief that the prisoners were to be left in Statesboro he knew his only hope of getting the men out alive was to do so secretly. Just before 2 o'clock Sunday morning, the sheriff requested Lieutenant Henry Greiner, in command of the company guarding the jail, to withdraw his men from the rear of the jail for a few minutes. The men were marched around on the front side for a short time, and the sheriff, alone with his prisoners, slipped out the back way. Walking them for half a mile, he took a buggy and drove to Brooklet, 10 miles from Statesboro, where the train was caught. On the way from the station to the jail, Reed made his first statement. He said Hall had told him he knew where they could get a lot of money, though they might get into trouble. He claims the three of them went to Hodges's place together, but that he became frightened and ran away when Hodges appeared on the scene. The other two stayed and killed them, he said. Which one of them killed Hodges? asked Patrolman Collins. Hall, promptly responded Reed. And which one of them set the house on fire? Hall, he again answered. How do you know Hall killed Hodges if you ran away as you say you did, demanded the patrolman. Reed immediately became sullen and refused to answer any further questions. After reaching the jail, he would not talk. He had said in the wagon, though, that they thought Mr. Hodges had money buried by the fence back of the barn. It was there that blood was found on the fence and a pool of blood nearby. Sheriff Kendricks said Mr. Hodges was undoubtedly killed there and afterwards dragged into the house. There were marks where the body had been dragged, he said. The bodies of the entire family were found close together, the sheriff says, showing they had all been dragged there after being murdered. Cato talks freely about the affair, though he denies that he took part in the murder. He says Reed asked him to go along but he would not do so. He admits going to Reed's house early on the night of the murder. He says he stayed there only a short time, however, and went back home. He states that later in the night, Reed came by his house and called him. He says he told his wife to answer and tell Reed he was not there, and she did so. Sheriff Kendrick says 
He does not think Cato's wife will corroborate the statement. Sheriff Kendricks believes firmly both Reed and Cato committed the murders. His belief in this is based on the statement of Reed's wife, who said that the men went to dig up the money Saturday night a week ago, but were discovered by Hodges. They then asked for some turpentine. She says the men declared afterwards they would get the money if they had to kill the whole family. There is no doubt about the men going there Saturday night. Cato himself admits this. He says they went for the turpentine, though, as a snake had grazed him. Sheriff is rather inclined to the opinion that Reed and Cato did the work by themselves, though he is, of course, not sure, quote, that those two are the right men, I am certain, end quote, he said. Their own statements, together with circumstantial evidence, certainly points to the two, though Reed declares Colbert and Hall were the men. Sheriff Kendrick says there is no doubt that a plot was laid and that a number of black men knew of it. Until he gets further into the case, he cannot say whether any of the others were along when the crime was committed. Colbert, one of the black men implicated by Reed, is in jail at Statesboro. Hall will be caught at once, the sheriff said. He stated, however, he does not believe Hall had anything to do with it, but he will be arrested and the case will be investigated until the truth is known. Hall, he says, has never been any serious trouble, and he is a good black man. With the two men here, there are now 20 prisoners in jail in connection with the murder, the sheriff said. He will keep at work until the matter is sifted to the bottom. Unfortunately, what's uncomfortable about this case is the amount of racism and the amount of times the N-word is used in these articles. I do like sharing articles directly, um, but I'm trying my best to do it respectfully, and I do apologize if it um, sounds strange or if I'm taking pauses. Um, for that particular article was the Savannah Morning News, Monday, August 1st, 1904. Next, Hall was arrested and placed in the jail in Statesboro. And people found out that Reed and Cato were no longer in Statesboro and thought it would be useless to try to break into the jail. And it is noted here that the only evidence against Hall was Reed's accusation. Desolate and lonely in its desolation, the ruins of the house in which the Hodges family lived bear a silent witness to the enormity of the crime. The home was situated three quarters of a mile from the nearest house which was the one in which Handy Bell lived. A few yards below the gate is the place where the assailants of Mr. Hodges crossed over from a cornfield in which way they were evidently hiding. The lower rail is crushed more than half its length, as if trod upon heavily, as the men jumped over the fence. The tracks would indicate that there were at least three involved in the affair. Those who pass by stopped to look more closely at the spot where the bodies were found. The hasp of his purse and the five silver dollars and other coins found where Hodges's body lay, as told in the morning news, convinced many that the motive of robbery, if such was the original one, was lost sight of in a more awful crime. The silver was saved from melting by the protection of the body of Mr. Hodges, while a gold finger ring which he wore was fused in the heat.
The picture as read by those who have studied the case recalls vividly the crime and the manner of its execution. The first weapon used, a good-sized stone, lies by the roadside with the dark spots of blood from the dead man's head still visible upon its jagged corner. Desiring another weapon, one of the men wrenched a brace from the side of the buggy belonging to Mr. Hodges and inflicted wounds on Mrs. Hodges and the little girl. Later, it is supposed that an axe was used, which was found in the ruins with the handle burned out. From confessions made by the men in Savannah, it is reasonably certain that the crimes previous to the burning of the house were committed early in the evening, and that after the men had gone away, they returned with the idea of concealing their hellish deed by burning the bodies. Like a pall of dark omen, the shadow of the tragedy hangs over the town and country. So terrible was the deed that its enormity is not fully realized. And I did look up the word pall is a cloth spread over a coffin, hearse, or tomb, or a dark cloud or covering of smoke, dust, or similar matter. To continue, this is the first time any remarkable crime has ever been perpetrated in Bullock County, and the blot on the fair name of its people is galling to them. Only one way do they see to wash away the stain, and that is with the blood of the demons who perpetrated the offense. It is regarded as probable that there will be a demonstration in the town tomorrow, as the news that the inquest will be postponed has not reached the country. But with the removal of the two men, no violence is feared. So no violence is feared, yet the newspaper is expressing people's feelings of wanting blood. Question mark? Um, that is disturbing but relevant. Savannah Morning News, August 2nd, 1904. Statesboro, Georgia, August 2nd. We the jury, sworn to inquire into the cause of death of Henry R. Hodges, Claudia Hodges, Kitty Hodges, Harmon Hodges, and Talmadge Hodges, by D.Q. Stanford, coroner of Bullock County, make the following presentment. We say upon oath that the deceased were murdered by Paul Reed and Will Cato, and recommend that they be held for said murder, and that Harriet Reed and Ophelia Cato be held as witnesses. Sign J.C. Jones, Foreman, J.N. Atkins, Harrison Atkins, Jasper Mallard, J.C. Cromley. Harriet Reed, Paul Reed's wife, was put on the stand first. She said she was about 17 years old. She lives nearly a mile from Will Cato. Cato told Reed that he knew Hodges had $300 buried behind his hen house in an old kettle. Cato came to her house a little after dark, and he and Reed went off to Hodges on Saturday night and were gone about two hours and told her they had been to Hodges to scratch up the money. But Hodges came out and they told him they had come for turpentine, that a snake had grazed Cato. They got it and returned home. Cato saying that they would have the money or get all Hodges's people. They appointed Thursday to go again. Cato came just after dark, and the two left together and were gone nearly two hours. They returned. Reed got some matches, stayed about 15 minutes, and went away again. Reed wore a pair of shoes when he went away, but had none when he returned. 
She then identified the shoes found in the woods as being the ones Reed wore the first time. Cato returned through the field and Reed through the gate, and she had shown Cato's tracks to other parties. Reed went back to Hodges's without any shoes, but Cato did. They returned the second time about one o'clock in the night. Then Reed told her that they had done a crime, but she must not tell it or they would kill her, and she so promised. They said they had killed the people they had been talking about and burned the house. Cato, Cato told her she better not tell it. They scratched up the money, but Hodges put on his shoes, came out and took the kettle from them. His wife came out and then, out then, and Hodges handed her the kettle. How family was killed. Reed then knocked Hodges down. Hodges had told his wife to go get his gun. She ran and got it, but threw it down. Cato took after Mrs. Hodges and killed her in the house. This next part is particularly difficult. Quote, they then went into the house and killed the little babies, but did not find the little girl. When they returned to Hodges after getting the matches, they heard a scrambling behind the trunk and looking there found the little girl. She asked who they wanted and said if it was money, she had a nickel in the trunk and would give it to them if they would not kill her as they had done to her papa and mama. But they told her to come out and they killed her by breaking a lamp over her head. They then got the kerosene oil can and one of them poured oil in the kitchen and the other in the house and set fire to it. She saw no one come with Cato and Reed and no one went to her house while they were away. She never saw any more. They could never find it after Mrs. Hodges carried it into the house. She did not tell this on Friday because she was scared of her husband, but told it to other parties, not because of any threats of violence. She said Reed had worn out striped pants on and identified them when presented by Colonel Strange. Colonel Strange showed her a ring that someone had found near Hodges's home and said it was a ring from Tom Andrews' wife gave her baby three months ago. She identified the coat and pants Cato wore, but could not identify Cato's shoes, for she did not notice them. She also identified a pocket, pocket knife as being her husband's, which was found near Mr. Hodges by a young Mr. Deal after the crime had been committed. She said Cato said he killed Mrs. Hodges, but they did not say who killed the children. Cato said Reed killed Hodges behind the chicken house, and all the bodies were carried into the house the first time. She told the story to Mr. J. M. Fordman, without fear of harm or for reward. Cato said he was going to the woods next day for a sham. Reed carried a pistol off with him, but Cato brought it back. Ophelia Cato, Will Cato's wife, was then put on the stand. She is a bright woman, about 20 years old, and was very much excited when she took the stand, but calmed down upon being assured by Colonel Strange that no one would harm her. She said her husband left home about sundown Thursday evening, saying he was going to pen Mr. John Brandon Sows. He went, however, to Paul Reed's. He came back about dark and said he wished he had not gone. He said Reed said he and Hodges had gotten into a quarrel and that Reed had knocked Hodges down. Cato changed shoes then, putting on his Sunday shoes, which he identified and which fit some of the tracks found. He went away and was gone about two hours or longer. Reed came in a few minutes and asked for Cato 
and she told him he had gone to his Reed's house. Reed left saying he would see him, but if he did not, to tell Cato to remain until he came back. Cato came home after a while, wet, pulled off his coat and pants, and then his underclothes, throwing the latter on the floor. She was in bed and did not get up. Cato lay down with her a while, but soon got up and lay on another bed with the children, with his head to a window so that he could see outward. After a while, Cato said Reed must have done what he said he was going to do, that he knocked Hodges down and cut his throat. And now he could see the light of the burning house, as Reed said he had killed the family and was going to burn the house down. She must not tell it. She asked if he could see the light, and he said yes. Friday, she told Cato that the searchers had examined the house. She had put the underclothes in a wash tub, but did not see any blood, and that the folks had gotten the dogs to trail the murderers, and Cato said he was glad of it, so that they could find the guilty parties. He did not eat at home, but carried his breakfast into the woods that morning. So if this was true, then he knew what was going to happen to that family and those children, and looked out the window while snuggling with his own children. And it looks like they did end up using dogs after all. To continue, Reed's wife came Friday with a message from Reed for her to go over to his home because the dogs would eat her up, and for Cato to go over there as he wanted to see him. Reed's wife had testified that she had gone over there. Cato did not tell her that anyone else had anything to do with the crime. Cato had only three cents in money. Cato and Reed did not know each other before coming to Georgia from Carolina. She first said Cato brought some turpentine home on Saturday, but got it from the still. Reed came for Cato Saturday night to go with him to Mr. Mills Waters to get some whiskey, and that they were gone until 10 o'clock, and said that they went to Hodges's house to get some turpentine, and did get it, and Cato said he had been snake-bitten, but being interrogated, she said she did not see any sign of it. Mr. J.C. Deal testified to the finding of the mismatched shoes and said those produced in court were the ones found in the woods and their mates in the house of Paul Reed. He also said he had investigated the scratching behind the chicken house and there had been digging there as if by one's hands. There were bloodstains on the shoes on Reed's trousers and on Reed's trousers. Mr. Deal said he rubbed the splotch on Cato's underclothes while they were in a tub of water and bloody water stained his hands. The testimony of the two women was entirely substantiated by the physical signs and condition of the Hodges's place. He could find no evidence that would implicate anyone other than Reed and Cato. George Campbell said Cato went to his house about 8 o'clock Thursday night and asked about the school closing at Fish Trap Bridge and acted so queerly that his little children noticed it. Cato remained only a few minutes. Handy Bell one of the suspects, the man who had Hodges's gun, was put on the stand. He made such a straightforward statement that few persons now think he had anything to do with the crime, though we may know more about it than he will tell. The people are coming to realize now that Sheriff Kendrick did his duty, and the right thing, by carrying Reed and Cato to Savannah on Sunday. While they are determined to have the men punished, they are happy over the prospects of an immediate trial and there will be no lynching. The law will take its course, and the people of Bullock County will show to the world that they are vigilant, but law-abiding.
August 14, 1904. A dispatch to the Morning News stated that people are coming into Statesboro from all over Bullock County and from Tattnall, Emanuel, Screven, and Effingham counties, and that the town will be thronged by Monday morning. There was a good deal of quiet talk during the day as to what might happen after the trial, up to six o'clock. However, after which there was no communication to be had with Statesboro, everything was quiet. The Savannah Morning News. Statesboro, Georgia, August 14th. Will Cato, arrested as a principal in the murder of the entire Hodges family, has confessed to the existence of an organized N-word band in Bullock County, whose object is the killing and robbing of white people. It is called the Before Day Club and holds nightly meetings in isolated places. Cato names Will Rainey as a member who assisted in killing the Hodges and afterward firing their house. Other prisoners have given the name of the ringleader and told where the records of the club, hidden in an old iron safe, may be found. Searching parties are now out. The trial of the men Reed and Cato will take place Monday, and people are pouring into Statesboro by rail and private conveyance. A meeting of citizens held today decided to see that there would be no violence, but the presence of military, it is feared, would be provocative of disorder. All the men arrested on suspicion will be probed thoroughly in order to get complete information about the Before Day Club. It is asserted that information now in hand is sufficient to convict more than Reed and Cato of murder and arson and others of lesser crimes. So it's really unfortunate that Paul Reed made this up because there were 11 black men in jail awaiting the end of this trial and they were all arrested just for the police thinking that they're suspicious because they're black and they were held there. And now the white men are thinking that there's a black terrorist organization, which was false. What's also incredibly unfortunate and tragic is this newspaper, the Atlanta Constitution, printed all of this as fact and this rumor spread. Rumors of this club, whose purpose was to, quote, plan robberies and executions of well-to-do whites, end quote, spread to other counties in Georgia as well as Virginia and Alabama. Eighteen Bullock County black men were arrested as suspected accomplices and ringleaders. Three alleged day-before clubhouses were burned. Mass meetings of whites were held. They formed an actual club, the All Day Club, to counteract the rumored Day Before Club. According to Without Sanctuary, a book detailing the lynchings in America from 1882 to 1950, black people were, quote, whipped for vile language, for riding a bike on the sidewalk, for filing complaints against the floggers, and on general principle. Sebastian McBride, three days after giving birth, was whipped without explanation in her home. Her husband protested, was dragged into the woods, whipped and shot. He crawled home and identified the attackers to sympathetic neighboring whites. Three of the five attackers were arrested but never indicted. McBride died from his wounds. In Register, Georgia, Albert Roberts, an unoffending N-word, and his 17-year-old son were hit by bullets fired into their cabin 
by a marauding band of whites. Robert died from his wounds. Now we will get back to the case specifically, but it wouldn't be right to not talk about this part of American history as it relates to this case, because this case is riddled with tragedy, riddled with racism. Will not lynch slayers. Statesboro, Georgia, August 14th. The special session of Bullet Court to try Paul Reed and Will Cato, charged with the murder of the Hodges family, will convene tomorrow morning. Judge Daly and Solicitor Rollins will be here tonight. Everything is quiet tonight, and there is no danger of a lynching as it now looks. The published stories that the town is full of determined men are all untrue. It has been the policy and is now the determination of the people not to lynch the two men now in jail because they hope by their help to capture and run down everyone connected with the crime. It is believed that it was a conspiracy to kill the family and that a club of N-words known as the Before Day Club are at the bottom of it. The sheriff is now on track to fresh evidence against one Will Rain, and it is believed there are others. Four miles from town this evening, a mass meeting of 100 farmers was held, and they decided to wait until all the facts were brought out before any de definite action was taken. Thousands of people will be here tomorrow to attend the trial. August 15th. Paul Reed and Will Cato, two of the men being charged with the murder of the Hodges family near this place two or three weeks ago, were brought into the courthouse this morning. The men have been in the Savannah jail for some time, but they were brought here Thursday night. The fact that they were in the States Row jail was kept secret until yesterday afternoon. Will Cato was the first man placed on trial today, and his case occupied the attention of the court during the entire day. The jury retired at 7.40 o'clock tonight, and in exactly five minutes returned a verdict of guilty without recommendation to the mercy of the court. The attorneys for the defense tried hard to have the wife's testimony thrown out, but the motion was overruled. The woman was severely cross-examined and retracted her statements remarkably, leading to the guilt of Cato. Up to this hour, no lynchings have occurred. Crowds have gathered on the street corners and discussed the situation, but there is now such a heavy guard around the jail that there can hardly be any lynching, and the people seem to be satisfied with the trial of the cases. Paul Reed will be placed on trial tomorrow morning, and there is no doubt that he will be convicted as he is considered the leader of the crowd. Attorney Myrick of Savannah today withdrew from the case, and the defense is now represented entirely by local attorneys and they today made a hard fight to save Cato's neck. A company of military arrived here this afternoon from Savannah, and everything is now very quiet. Altogether, 11 black men are held as principals or witnesses in the case, and they will be as tried as rapidly as possible. A meeting of citizens was held a mile from the city Sunday night, at which it was decided to let the law take its course. It is now believed that at least three of the men will be convicted and sentenced to hang. After the jury returned a verdict in the Cato case today, he was seen but still refused to talk of the case. He had a guilty look upon his face, however, which told that he was one of the murderers of Henry Hodges and his family. At this hour of 11 o'clock, there has not been even a sign of lynching and no attempt is expected during the night. The following are excerpts from the Savannah Morning News, the day of the trial and verdict, August 15th. 1904. Now, 
it is kind of all over the place because it's printed all over the place, but bear with me here. Reed and Cato were being tried on one indictment. The trial was directed against Paul Reed, but Cato was soon drawn into it by deals identifying shoes and underclothes. Will Cato had told him they were his. Witness identified the shoes found in the woods and their mates found in Reed's house. Everyone in the neighborhood came up to the scene of the fire the next day, except Cato and Reed. On the hip pocket of Reed's pants were bloodstains, as if he had run his hands into his pocket for a knife. August 15th, 1904. Cato made his statement. The entire afternoon was taken in examining witnesses, and at ten minutes to seven o'clock, both sides closed. A consultation was held, and the defendant's counsel asked that their client might be permitted to reconsider and make his statement. No objection was interposed, and he mounted the stand. He was, barely, he was hardly able to stand, and frequently repeated, and at one time broke down and cried. His statement from the official record of the court stenographer follows. Well, gentlemen, the crime they have got me charged with here, I am not guilty of that crime. Nothing like it, because when that thing was done, I wasn't there. I wasn't nowhere about Mr. Hodge's house at all. I was at my own house, I suppose, when that was done. Whilst I left my house that night, I never went to Mr. Hodge's house at all. I went to Paul Reed's house and back to my own and back to Paul's and from there to George Campbell's and then back to my house. And when I got back there, I stayed. And when I got back, the house was not even set on fire and it was not set on fire until after I lay down. There was three men's coming along when I first left Paul's house and started home. Paul walked to peace with me and there was three men's coming along. They taken Paul off and talked with him some and Paul came back to me, come back to me and asked me to go with them. And then they asked me and I asked them where they were going. And they said, and I said, no, I would not go for a thousand dollars and you had better not go. And they goes on, I suppose they there. I went on home. I didn't go right straight. Home. I went and sat down on the fence a while, and then I went on home and smoked a cigarette, pulled off my shoes and put on these I got on now, and went back over to Paul's house, and directly after I got there, and as I started off, Paul come. Paul was telling me about it. I met up with them, same three fellows, going out towards the still, and they said that they had what they had done, but as far as me being up there, I ain't been there. I reckon I am about through. It took him fully 15 minutes to deliver this short statement, and he had to be urged frequently to speak louder. After finishing, he stood on the stand for five minutes without saying a word, all the while his face working convulsively as though he wanted to speak, but the words stuck in his throat. At 7.18 o'clock tonight, the jury in the case of the state versus Will Cato returned a verdict of guilty after being out eight minutes. Judge Daly immediately adjourned court until 8.30 o'clock tomorrow morning without passing a sentence to the prisoner. There were less than 100 people in the courtroom when the jury returned its verdict, and there was not the slightest evidence of pleasure or displeasure at the jury's findings, as the verdict was anticipated before the trial commenced. As soon as Judge Daly announced a recess until tomorrow morning, the courtroom was cleared and after waiting a half hour, the prisoners were escorted back to the jail under a heavy military guard. Stationed every three or four feet from the courthouse, 
entrance to the jail were armed men with fixed bayonets. After six o'clock, no one was allowed to enter the courthouse, heavy guards being placed at each of the entrances, four in number, gathered at the hotel and demanded to see the judge. Statesboro, Georgia, August 15th. At 12 o'clock tonight, a gathering of about 50 men who were under the influence of whiskey gathered in front of the Jekyll Hotel and called loudly for Judge Daly. Repeated orders were given the small boy on duty to go up and wake the judge, but Judge Daly refused to come down. Several of the bolder members of the crowd went into the hotel and upstairs, but did not locate Judge Daly's room. A gentleman here, who mingled with the crowd, stated that all of them were from other countries, other counties, and that they had brought their whiskey with them. After much argument in front of the hotel, the crowd dispersed. The officer of the day at the military camp was notified, and a detail was got in readiness to interfere in the event Judge Daly complained of the annoyance. The crowd dispersed at about 12.30 o'clock. August 16th. Paul Reed was placed on trial when court convened this morning. Woodcock, the first witness, saw the fire which destroyed the Hodges' home about 10 o'clock. He rang the bell to alarm the neighbors. The house was burned down when he arrived. He saw two of the burned bodies. J.C. Deal was the next witness. He said bedding appeared to have been placed on the body of Mr. Hodges. The witness explained a diagram of the premises. He saw the track of Mrs. Hodges. She came from her house, and where she ran to the house, she was followed by one track pursuing her. He saw a pool of blood and marks on the ground of a struggle. From there to the house, there were only two tracks as if carrying a burden. Drops of blood reached to the house. He found a pair of old mismatched shoes about 150 yards from the house. There was blood on the shoes. On one was the hair of a white woman stuck to it by turpentine gum. Quote, I had seen Paul Reed with shoes like the ones found, declared the witness. The shoes were tied up with a calico string that was found similar to the strip in the house of Paul Reed. I heard Paul Reed admit that they were his shoes. A coat and shoe were found in Cato's house. This shoe was similar to the one that made one of the tracks. There was blood on the shoe and blood on the coat. The witness said he also found underwear, which Cato admitted belonged to him, which with blood stains on it. The underwear was in the wash tub. He said Reed and Cato lived about a mile and a half from the Hodges' home. Neither of them went to the burned house until carried there. All the other neighbors came. Sam Smith found the shoes. The first shoe found had blood on it. The other had hair of a woman's head stuck to it by gum turpentine. Deal found a knife near the log where Paul Reed's shoes were found. Isaac Atkins, H.H. Moore, and Pleasant Bran Brannon identified the shoes as Paul Reed's. Harriet Reed, who made the confession soon after the murder that her husband, Paul Reed, and Will Cato committed the crime, was placed on the stand. She said in part, quote, Cato lived about a half mile from our house. He came to see us often on the night of the murder. He came to the house about eight o'clock. He went out with my husband in the direction of the Hodges' home. Soon afterward, he returned with my husband. Cato did not come into the house. My husband said they only wanted some matches and were going out again. The two men returned again between one and two o'clock in the morning. Cato told me they had killed the Hodges family and burned up the house. 
Cato said Reed killed Mr. Hodges, but he himself slew Mrs. Hodges and the children, except one little girl whom they missed. Realizing that there was a little girl left to tell the tale, the two men decided to go back and kill her. The little girl was found hidden behind a trunk. They then killed her with a lamp. My husband and Cato had planned to kill the family the Saturday night previous, but became frightened. At that time, they went to look for the pot of gold, which they believe Mr. Hodges had buried in his yard. My husband told me Mr. Hodges heard them in the yard, and they made up an excuse for being there. They said Cato had been snake-bitten, and they had come to get some turpentine. Mr. Hodges gave them the turpentine, and they left the place. Afterwards, Cato declared he intended to have that money, even if he had to kill Mr. Hodges. I showed Mr. Fordham the track Cato made going through the potato patch. Cato told me they found the money, and Mr. Hodges took it from him. Mr. Hodges then called his wife and gave it to her. His wife came out of the house with a lamp in her hand to receive the money. So all of that came from the same article from the America's Times Recorder, August 17, 1904, which started like this. Cato and Reed die by fire at stake. Slayers of Hodges' family, upon conviction by court, are seized by determined citizens, dragged from the courthouse, and burned at stake. Cato and Reed, the brutal murderers of the Hodges' family, have paid the penalty for their hellish crime. Upon conviction by the court today, they were seized by determined men and dragged from the courthouse to a place where a crowd awaited them. There they were bound to stakes, their clothing saturated with oil and set on fire. Both died in terrible agony. The town is very quiet tonight. So the way the Hodges family died and were treated after death is very brutal. Now, these two go down in history as the ones who murdered this family. And it does seem that there are... There is evidence to that and circumstantial evidence to that and testimony and, you know, some of the testimony could have been coerced. But the fact that these two men were tied to a tree and burned alive and the article starts like that, but that's the only thing they put in the article about that. They just go on talking about the trial, which is very disturbing to me, at least. August 16th. With clothing saturated with kerosene, writhing and twisting in their agony, screaming to heaven for the mercy that the mob would not show, Paul Reed and Will Cato Two of the principals in the dastardly murder and burning of Henry Hodges, wife and three of their children, six miles from Statesboro three weeks ago, were burned at the stake today. This afternoon at 1.21 o'clock, a determined mob charged upon the courthouse, overpowered the military mob, secured Cato and Reed, who had been found guilty after a legal trial, and sentenced to be hanged took them two miles from Statesboro, and there exacted the fearful penalty. Reed was taken down one stairway with a rope about his neck, and Cato down the other, both pleading for their lives. The crowd numbered 500, 
They dragged the men along, shouting and cheering along the roadway leading to the Hodges homestead, where the five members of the family had been murdered and burned. That was their destination. The heat was so intense that the crowd wearied when two miles of the six-mile route had been traveled. Going several hundred yards from the road, the crowd halted. The two men were made to sit themselves on a log. They were told they had but a short time to live and that they should confess. Reed was the first to speak. He confessed, implicating other men, as he had in the courtroom. He denied, however, that he had taken an active part in the murder. Cato answered incoherently. Burn, cried crowd. The crowd moved across a field to a strip of woodland. Several men climbed two branches and called for ropes. Burn them, burn them, shouted the crowd. Cato begged to be shot or hanged, saying he was innocent, that he had no part in the crime. Some of the more humane wanted to grant his request, but they were in the minority. The rest wanted to visit the same death upon the men that they had visited upon the Hodges family. A number of the mob made a speech recounting the horrors of the crime. This inflamed the crowd to the burning pitch. To a large stump, twelve feet high, the men were chained with their backs to the stump. With trace chains, the men were lashed to the stump. Then a wagon load of pine wood was hauled to the spot. It was piled around the men, and ten gallons of kerosene was thrown over them. Photograph taken. A photographer was present, and the crowd was cleared back that he might get several views of the men bound to the stake and ready for the burning. The scene which followed begs description. Frenzied cheers rent the air, as men almost crazed with the hatred of the men being punished saw the cruel flames drinking up the lifeblood. Just as the match was applied to the pyre, one of those in front asked Reed, didn't he want to tell the truth before he died? Quote, Yes, sir. I killed Mr. and Mrs. Hodges, he replied. Who killed the children, he was asked. Handy Bell, came the response, as the flames leaped upwards and further questioning was impossible in the wind. Tumult. The spectacle was frightful. As the flames touched Reed's naked oil-soaked skin, he twisted his head around in an endeavor to choke himself and avoid the fearful torture. Only once did he complain, he said, Lord, have mercy. Cato screamed in agony and begged that he be shot. His heavy hair, which was oil-soaked, was almost the first thing the flames fastened on, and screaming with agony, while the hemp rope became a collar of fire around his neck. A thrill of horror ran through the flames of the more timid. Before the flames had quenched Cato's life, the rope was burned in two and his head swung from side to side as he endeavored to avoid the fiery tongue. By effort almost superhuman, he writhed under the close-locked chains. For only about three minutes was he visible to the crowd before the great pile made a wall of flames which the wind whipped around on Cato's side and hid him from view. Reed was the first to exhibit unconsciousness, and was perhaps the first dead. 
Before the flames had progressed very far up his body, his head sank forward, and many believed that the fire got into his lungs and killed him. As Cato's head swung to and fro, some of the more excited members of the party commenced throwing light wood knots at it. As soon as it was seen that the men were dead, the crowd commenced dispersing. A large number remained behind, however, piling more fuel on, until both bodies were burned all except the trunks. Others employed themselves in thrashing out the fire, which commenced spreading along the dry streaks of pine needles. Late this afternoon, after the last member of the mob had left the scene, hundreds of citizens who had in no ways participated in the execution repaired to the scene and many remained long after nightfall, picking up whatever souvenirs they could find. And the article ends off with, Conspicuous among the crowds was a number of small boys in knee pants. The Atlanta Constitution, August 17, 1904. Now, 1904 was not that long ago. Those children could be the great-grandparents to people alive today. They could be the parents to someone's grandparents. And this is the example they were given. Now, somehow that is not the end of this story. Somehow it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. This article also details, although the two men had been promptly tried and sentenced to be hanged on September 9th, it was evident this morning that the citizens were not satisfied and would take the law into their own hands. Early in the morning, a vast crowd armed with guns of all sorts surrounded the courthouse and declared that the men must die at once. How they carried out their determination is told elsewhere. The white citizens are determined to drive out all the bad N-words and have organized an all-night club, which is whipping black people. Five men were whipped and many others given sound advice. The Before Day Club, a black mafia, which is said to have planned the Hodger's murder and marked other victims, is practically at an end. The all-night club was organized by the white citizens last night and went into business in short order. A N-word quarter was visited and five whipped with a rawhide buggy whip. Gibson, the father of Viola Gibson, who was whipped on Sunday night together with another black woman for knocking two little girls, white girls, off the street, was given 75 lashes. He promised to keep clear of before-day clubs. Now, the photographs that were taken during the burning at the stake, um, those were sold as postcards, and they actually still exist today. Um, it's really fucked up. I keep wanting this case to be over, but it keeps getting worse. Um, but I think it's important to talk about the implications of what happened. Um, so let's continue. Statesboro, Georgia, August 17th. 
With the exception of wild rumors that have been flying around the streets today, Statesboro is as quiet as on any summer's day. Business has resumed. Women again traverse the streets without fear of hearing or seeing the expression of any of the wild passions that convulsed the community yesterday. Business in the city has resumed its normal state, but the evil after effects are now commencing to appear in the communities in the country. Black people are sleeping in the woods, and those in the vicinity of the Hodges home are moving away as rapidly as they can get the money to move with. In a few weeks, it will be harvesting time with the farmers, and then the real hardship brought on by the sensational execution will be experienced. There will be few hands available to pick cotton, and the turpentine industry will suffer for labor. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? Mm, hold on. So to be clear, the hardship is not that people have to live in the woods, run away, and are getting whipped and shot. The hardship is that you don't have laborers. All night clubs, composed largely of men in inflamed minds, have been organized in several sections of the county and black people are being whipped almost nightly. Irresponsible white people who have grudges against black people, some of whom are peaceful and well-mannered, um, wow, okay, take their revenge by visiting their homes at night and whipping them. These whippings are of nightly occurrence and some of them are most brutal. Reverend Stubbs, pastor of the White Hardshell Baptist Church, which has a large membership of prominent citizens here, has called a meeting of the elders, and it is understood that all members of the church against whom there is evidence of participation in the lynch lynching will be expelled from the church. Well, at least there's that. Early this morning, news was received in the city that a black man supposed to be Handy Bell had been found on Lots Bridge, about nine miles from Statesboro, shot to pieces. A large number of people who knew Bell went out and viewed the remains and all stated that it was not Bell. Up to this hour, the body has not been identified. Albert Roberts, an old black man living near Register and his 17-year-old son were shot last night. A large number of men supposedly some of those who participated in the lynching here, drove by the house about midnight and fired a broadside into it. The old man was mortally wounded. He was well-liked and peaceful. People living in Register and that vicinity are highly incensed at the shooting and state that that will make a determined effort to apprehend the guilty parties and bring them to justice. Savannah Morning News, August 18th, 1904. Lastly, I will share some more information from Without Sanctuary. So, apparently several accounts said that the mother of Henry Hodges was asked to name the method of execution, and she said, burn them. Um, also, the two little boys we talked about excavated the ashes in search of bones 
They wrapped the fragments in handkerchiefs and offered them to Judge Daly, who refused them. Quote, photos of the Statesboro horrors for sale, end quote. This headline appeared two weeks after the lynching, and photos were offered for sale of the lynching, the murderers, as well as photos of the family. They were the work of T.M. Bennett. So I just read this, and this is the moment I realized that so the reason I started talking about this case was because I found a photograph of this family and it's an odd looking photograph because it's almost like, like it's almost like someone did Photoshop, but in 1904. And, and I, I saw the original photographs of the family. It was like they were all pasted together. Um, and now this photograph is from 1904 and I'm looking at the bottom and it says, Hodges family murdered and burned by Paul Reed and Will Cato, July 28, 1904, near Statesboro, Georgia. Copyright 1904 by T.M. Bennett. So the photograph that I own was produced by the same man who sold copies of this family, as well as the brutal burning of these two men. So, not sure what to do about that. Thank you all so much for listening. That's where we'll end the case. It was a long one, a brutal one, one that started off horrendous and just continued with the level of horrendousness. Um, this was the most difficult case I've talked about. And once I started it, I felt like I couldn't not finish it. Because unfortunately, this is the the reality of what happened and what happened all over the United States. So it gets important to remember our history. And there are so many victims in this case. So many lives lost and You know, the next time I look into buying a photograph connected to a murder, I'm going to look into the sourcing. Um, I know there's a lot of new listeners. I appreciate you guys all being here. And I hope you take care of yourselves. Thanks. Bye.